If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 4. Um, of course, it'll be up on the screen for those who want to read along. But uh, we are launching a brand new series called Disciple today. And I'm probably just going to make a couple of introductory comments and then I'm going to make a sharp left and you'll understand why in a moment. But before we uh, get into this, uh, let me tell you a little story. A couple of weeks ago, uh, David Evans had a party. Our, our you know, worship leader today, Brian, his son, I don't know how old he turned, but he decided to have it at a place called the Flying Squirrel. Anybody been to the Flying Squirrel before? There we go. It's like a trampoline park in a big warehouse. And, uh, you know, you wear special socks. And they have this thing where they switch off the lights at, I don't know, 9 o'clock. I don't know where it is. And uh, if you are wearing anything that would respond to fluorescent lighting, um, you light up like a candle. You know, it's a lot of fun and there's a DJ. And so, you know, obviously it's mostly for kids. I didn't really see a lot of adults participating. It was a kid's party. And so my wife and I, uh, we were hanging around the area and it's time to go and collect Travis, who was invited. Uh, the lights were off and so we needed to locate our son. But we didn't really know what he wore to distinguish him from any of the other children <laughs> in the facility. Uh, I think he decided to choose to wear something like, but when he left our vehicle or our house, I didn't quite take note of what he was wearing. And so I basically went out and did a lap in the trampoline park in the dark, looking at every moving uh, individual, uh, only to return once to my wife saying, I, I can't find him. So she sent me back for a second lap. And so there I was walking through the flying squirrel once more, uh, you know, trying to look into dark corners, see if I can't locate my son. And uh, unfortunately, I returned back empty-handed the third time. And I'm pretty sure she sent me out a third time. I was like, no, 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 I think you went the fourth time. I think I went that through one time. I, I kind of thought, no, this is impossible. He's got to be here somewhere. <laughs> and so I did a third lap. And could not locate my son. Had no idea where he was. I mean, all the kids kind of looked the same anyway. Everybody was jumping and bouncing around. The music was so loud. And of course, you know, I'm in my 40s and my eyes are starting to fail me as well. So I came back to Tony saying, I'm sorry, I'm a bad dad. Could you try and locate our son as well? My wife went and did a whole lap and she came back empty handed as well. And by God's grace, for some reason, Travis just showed up uh, uh, in front of us at some stage. We're like, there he is, great. But it wasn't because we uh, found him. We could not set him apart from any of the other kids in that facility. And that's really the story I want to tell you to sort of lay the foundation, both for the series and for the passage I want to read today. I want to read from the Beatitudes, the, the blessings that Jesus pronounced, and uh, and. I don't know if you guys watched The Chosen, which is a series about the followers of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus. Great series. I really do recommend it. And there's one section. Um, is it echoing a little bit here? A little bit. Okay. If you don't mind, Dean, just paying attention to that echo for me. Thanks, bud. But um, there's one section where it's just before Jesus kind of preaches the Sermon on the Mount, and it's his interaction with Matthew, with Levi. Now, of course, they've taken creative liberty and tried to tell the story. This is not necessarily how the scriptures tell us. But we know Matthew wrote it down because it's in his gospel. Okay, So they've sort of this moment where Jesus is saying he's, he wants to give people an address. A lo how they would be able to locate and find his disciples. And then he breaks into the Beatitudes, kind of pre-sermon, where he sort of just runs it by Matthew. Okay, 
So, you know, they've taken some creative license. But I, I love that because this is just before Jesus launches in, in the gospel of Matthew. As he teaches his disciples, he, he kicks off with the Beatitudes. And, and many commentaries say it is a kind of a summary of what's about to follow. As Jesus describes the distinctives of those who follow him. So I, I, I couldn't figure out where Travis was. I didn't know what his distinctive outline or outfit was. And so he just blended into the crowd. And Jesus is really starting off his Sermon on the Mount, kind of saying that you will spot a Christ follower if, if some of these things or if all of these things are present and at work and active in their lives. I love that. And so let's read this together if we can. Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to start reading from verse 25. Just uh, um, It's the end of that chapter, and then we'll launch into Matthew chapter 5, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew 4, 25 says this. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. 5 verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And Matthew is very intentional in drawing a difference between the crowds and the disciples. And maybe here today in our gathered space, perhaps online, you might be in the crowd or you might be an actual disciple. Because the crowds were the people who perhaps were still on the outskirts, kind of checking this Jesus out, listening to what he has to say, watching him you know, perform miracles, wondering whether they think this is true or not. Is this a party trick? Is this for real? Like listening to what he's saying, mm, am I willing to actually go that far in terms of following the Lord, the crowd was sort of on the outside, but the disciples, it says they came to him. They drew near. They were like, yeah, this is who we are following. And so, so we, in, in the beginning, even here, we see the distinction between the crowd and the disciples. And as we preach through this series, we are trusting that the crowd would actually move closer and become authentic disciples. That's what the sermon is called, disciples following Jesus today. So let's keep reading. And verse 2, he starts off Jesus with the Beatitudes. He says, And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who are before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, that your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. 
Thank you for these verses that right out the gate just confronts us and, and uh, cause us, causes us to audit our lives as those who claim to be disciples of you. Lord, as we journey through these, this, this sort of opening thought and, and into the series, Lord, would you transform us and change us into people who look and live like what we've just read? Do it by your spirit, I pray. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So as I said, we're going to be spending a couple of weeks looking specifically at what it means to be a disciple following Jesus. And yes, this is perhaps a summary of what that kind of person looks like. Following Jesus, this is how it's going to play out in your life. You know, you, you, there'll be a pureness of heart which really confronted the Pharisees of the day who all thought there should be an external pureness, you know. But he's saying, no, you'll see God if he changes you from the inside out. You don't change from the outside in. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who who pursue reconciliation and righteousness in that sense, because they will be the ones who will be children of God. Like if you behave that way, it's it's clear that you are, God is your father. If if you show mercy, you probably would have received mercy and the guarantee is that you will receive mercy. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you'll be satisfied. If you understand that you're poor in spirit, spiritually bankrupt, that you can bring nothing to the table, that actually the kingdom of heaven will be yours when you admit your desperate desire and need for God to fill your bank account. There's nothing you can bring to him. All of these things listed. You know, and then he gets to the salt of the earth and the light of the world analogy that we should actually stick out. Travis should have been lit up in some sense so I could spot him in the crowd as a light in the flying squirrel. Okay. <laughs> we all know salt, how good it is. I mean, over here in the winter, we understand the principle of salt being thrown on the road. Actually, you don't pick up that salt and chuck it on your steak. You should not. My wife is at this stage uh, opting in for a salt less diet or less salt, you know, for the sake of our health. And that means that we have two sets of butter in our house. We have saltless butter and salted butter, okay? And they look exactly the same. Oh, and I love a bit of salted butter on my hot cross bun, okay? I love it. I love hot cross buns. And so, when, and, and so with a cup of coffee, sometimes I grab the wrong salt, the wrong butter, the saltless one. I put it on there and I take a bite and it's just like, no, 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 no. This is not how it's supposed to taste. You know, our desire as a church is that we would be the bright believers in our community, that we would be the salty servants of Jesus, that when people bite into our lives, they go, "Mm, the salt is just bringing out the flavor of life because you're a follower of Jesus, that we don't disappear in the crowd like a dark child in the squirrel venue. I forgot the name. But that we shine brightly in our society. <laughs> so this is where I'm going to take a sharp turn right now. And I'm not so much changing the subject. I feel like I've seen these verses this week in action. Some of you might know I had the privilege of actually traveling with Compassion Canada to one of the countries they work in, the Dominican Republic, to visit their national office there and to see some of the work they do on the ground. I've been given a gift, and in many ways, I feel like I need to be a good steward of this gift, that while these memories are still fresh in my mind, to share and relay them with you. A couple of weeks ago, we had Compassion here talk to us about their work. We picked up, I think, 13 kids sponsoring them. We already sponsor 16, so nearly 30 kids are being sponsored by us as a church, primarily in sort of the Mexico area. 
but I feel like I've seen it firsthand. And, and I want to relay and share that with you. And, and, and for me, when I read these verses, I've genuinely seen them in action. Both those who are serving and those who are being served in Jesus' name. So I want to share that with you a little bit. I mentioned you already. We as a church, we do partner to some extent with compassion. But sometimes we give to unique needs like a food crisis that we did over our Christmas time. We gave towards the uh, Haiti earthquake because they work into that island. They were able to, they were on the ground. Um, and uh, as I've learned about the work of compassion this week, I genuinely believe that we would prioritize partnering with compassion to a greater extent into the future. We'll figure that out together as a community, as a leadership team. But that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just report back a little bit and kind of share with you how the people in the Dominican Republic and how compassion serving in that context were like cities on, hill, on hills, bright lights, salty in the community, definitely changing those that they have come in contact with. I want to share some of that with you. Is that okay? So I've got, I'm going to check off on my little list here, making sure I don't miss off anything, but I will just kind of speak along uh, with the, the, the pictures that are up on screen, and, um, and I'll tell Liam when to click next when the time is right. Okay. So yeah, we arrived late on Saturday, February the 4th, and we all jumped into a bus. That's Mike Peninga. He leads the, the team. Um, there were three other Compassion staff that helped, and so a whole bunch of us climbed into um, a bus in... Um, in, uh, we were in uh, Santa Domingo. That's where we landed, headed off for our uh, hotel. And I think the next picture you can see, uh, this is kind of the team. So there were uh, Compassion Canada staff, four of them, a bunch of pastors. Of, I was one of them as well. Uh, all across Canada from Alberta, uh, um, uh, you know, Vancouver uh, region, so in, in BC, all the way to Nova Scotia and, and Prince Edward Island. The irony actually is one of the ministers there is a guy called Dave Adams. Dave Adams used to co-lead C4 Church. And um, I went on a trip with Alpha a number of, years, number of years ago. And he was on that very trip as well. So the most time I've spent with Dave Adams, who used to lead a church just around the corner in Ajax, is actually in other countries, in England and the Dominican Republic. He's now leading a church in, uh, in Nova Scotia, and he found himself on this trip as well. So that was a real gift. But then, okay, a couple of them were also sponsors, people that are sponsoring children that went on this and every morning, we met together like that in our hotel. We got briefed for the day's agenda. We did a small devotion together. And uh, you'll see many more pics of our team together uh, as we continue on. So yes, the, our first visit uh, on, on the Sunday, we went just, just sort of northwest of Santo Domingo uh, to a church that I cannot pronounce. Uh, I'm not going to try. Um, and uh, and we, we, we just, it was a Sunday morning, so we attended a church. Now, just to give you some context... The Dominican Republic, uh, their, their office, the Compassion Office, has been going for 50 years. It's quite remarkable. Five decades. Maybe, maybe go to the next slide and you can see. That's the, the area. Um, and then the next slide will show you the... the um, we're outside of the church with uh, Mike on my left and another uh, person called Jim. He leads a church actually here in Toronto. Um, and that's the outside of the building. Maybe the next slide. There you go. That's the Sunday morning where we were there um, during the service. 50 years working in the DR, and there are 217 projects. Now, each project works through a local church. That's why it just captured my heart, and I got so excited for us as a local church in terms of what God could do through us. So each project works through a local church, so in, in, in many ways, that's 217 local churches through whom they partner. Uh, and uh, 
they are able to serve 76,000 kids as a result, just in the DR. They do 2.2 million kids worldwide, but in the DR, through 217 churches, really, 76,000 kids are being sponsored and looked after. That's quite remarkable. So maybe go to the next one. So over there, we actually had lunch and an interview with some of the staff, uh, some of the pastors at that church and the volunteers that work at the Compassion Project there. had lunch with them. Um, Many of them, you can go to the next slide, many of them are actually uh, former sponsored children, which is phenomenal to be able to see that they are serving there right now as tutors or as volunteers, and they actually were enrolled in the Compassion Program themselves and graduated out of that. We asked them about the difference that compassion made in their lives. And this is what really blew me away. From the word go, letters was the star of the show. Because for us, it's pretty easy just to throw money at it every month. They set up that, that, uh, that debit order, and there we go. You know? um, but letters, as one of the compassion staff said to me, that's the actual currency that these kids can hold on to. They, they benefit from the compassion program you know, through all the services that the church offers them. But what they can hold in their hands, you know, putting an actual face to, 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 to the knowledge that someone's giving to them, that's the big, big difference that it makes. There's a real person behind their giving. It's tangible currency they can hold on. And they may read things in the letters that you write to your sponsored kids that they might never hear in their home. Words of love and affirmation and encouragement. Uh, she's not in the picture over here, but the wife of one of the pastors at this church, she actually named her daughter after her sponsor. <laughs> that, that's, how, that's how impactful your, your giving is. And she also actually led worship in the church there. So again, compassion graduate, serving in the local church, married to a person who's leading a church over there, and was so impacted by it that her daughter's named after her sponsor. Letters are so important that compassion actually have a bunch of volunteers, they're called correspondents, who write letters when you and I don't. <laughs> because apparently they get letters all at the same time. And so they don't want any child to go, like, where's my letter? I didn't get a letter this time. They have people who write letters if you forget to do so. So that every child gets a letter. That's quite profound, isn't it? No one's left out. So I mentioned already the tutors, some of them on that uh, uh, picture there, they are tutors. So important as well, these tutors... Uh, help them, of course, with their, with their um, academics. They teach them the Bible stories, scriptures. They love them. They support them. They, show, they give them affirmation. Monday to Thursday is when they kind of do these extra classes outside of school. And on Fridays, these tutors actually go to their homes and do home visits with the kids. They teach them. They preach the gospel to them. And it's amazing because to be a Christian is not a prerequisite to be enrolled into the Compassion Program. In fact, one of the pastors on that picture there, he followed his brother to the Compassion Project, got saved, and now he's leading a church. <laughs> you know, that's his story. And there's so many, many, many kids' stories, you know. Uh, you can go to the next slide. Um, we, we walked through the market that afternoon just in Santo Domingo, just a little um, historic area. And one of the translators we had actually went into a cigar store. I didn't buy any cigars, don't worry. But the cigar store was right attached to like a curio crafts area and the reason why they took us into it is because the person that's working there the translators knew they were a former compassion participant 
And so, you know, he was pounced upon, really. He, was, he didn't know we were coming or anything. He was just doing his job. And he was being asked, how, what difference did compassion make? And this is what he said. I'm going to paraphrase it in two ways. They kind of mean the same thing. He said something like, I was a poor kid, but I had the opportunities of a rich kid. He said something like this, although I grew up in poverty, I had opportunities as if I was wealthy. That's the, kind, that's, that's the, the best way he could describe it. It's amazing. All right, the next day, you can see we went to the um, just sort of more central uh, Santo Domingo uh, to the national office of the Dominican Republic. And uh, they gave us a tour of the various departments. You can go to the next slide. You can see that's the whole team there on the staircase. You can go to the next one. Um, they introduced us to their staff, did a little staff devotion. They actually made us sing the Canadian uh, uh, national anthem, and I think I did pretty okay. In the beginning, I got a little lost, but I got the first and the last bit and nailed it. All right, so... Um, the second, uh, next slide, that's one of their departments. Ask me about this afterwards. I'd love to tell you how this came about. But they, they, they're filming some of the curriculum that they're showing in the projects with the kids because they realize that technology is really what grabs the kids' attention. And so they did a pilot program. It's so successful. This is where they're rolling that out now. Um, but uh, ask me about it afterwards if you can. But let me just talk to you a little bit about uh, the, the time that I was at the national offices. They gave us... Um, a tour of each of the departments, so the financial department, the auditing department, you know, the, 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 the one that really jumped out at me was the department that handles all of the letters. Now, again, just to say that 2.2 million kids are being served through Compassion, and they work in 27 countries. We just went to one country, the Dominican Republic. This is their head office. But as I said, this department that deals with the letters, they deal with 40,000 letters a month that come to the kids. You know, 40,000 letters to you know, 76,000 uh, kids that are being served in that country. And they have a whole team of trained translators that would translate these letters, either the, the letters the kids write to us or the letters that we write to them. And one of the questions that we asked was like, why is it still so old school? You know, you write a letter, you know, a piece of paper, maybe you scan it, they have a digital portal right now, but it's not like it's instant delivery. There's like this process that a letter goes through. And, and the reason is child protection. So for those of you who don't know, Compassion's catchphrase is to release children from all forms of poverty uh, in Jesus' name. And so children is their focus, obviously. And so child protection is high up on their list. So these translators are actually trained to be able to pick up in the letters if there's a concern and perhaps our homes as we write, you know, oversharing a little, maybe there's a concern in the letter that the kid writes and they go, no, we need to pay attention to this. You know what the unfiltered internet looks like, right? <laughs> it's a mess. The fact that you can just go up there and say anything to anybody at any time without it going through any kind of filter, that's the reason why the internet is so broken and so terrible, such a terrible, but the Wild West, right? Well, that's why I appreciate this old school method. The fact that it takes a while for a letter to get from A to B because there's people making sure that these children are, are safe at all times, regardless of which direction the letter goes. So anyway, that's just a, a little bit of information that I, I felt was good stewardship on their part. Again, many of the staff there were former participants in the program. So they were once sponsored kids in extreme poverty. And they find themselves in a professional environment. We went through the financial uh, section, and, and I, I just want to say to you guys, I mean, I, I, it's not like I lack confidence and compassion. 
But my confidence in them just tripled. Like, like it was incredible to see how they steward the finances that we give towards it. You know, roughly 84% of our giving goes to fund the programs for kids. So that means around 60%. It's split up between administration and then fundraising, which is really important to do. And there was a, a very established uh, retired businessman as part of our group who felt called to the ministry, but God said, no, I want, I'm, I want to call you to the business world. So he was very successful. And he was actually sharing with us that actually a company that runs on, you know, what is that? 16%, or they say, or 18%, anything less than 18% in the corporate world actually does harm to an institution. If you spend, you know, if you spend uh, um, less than that amount on, on your infrastructure, you actually can't accomplish things or grow. And yet, this is the story of compassion. Phenomenal to see how well they steward that 16% that goes to administration. So they fund these churches. They train these churches on how to manage their finances. It's amazing. These churches actually employ the tutors and the staff, and they are taught how to do that. They give monthly reports to compassion. They get audited. If there's a special need, they submit a proposal, and then the funds you know, make their way there, and then that project gets audited as well. Everything is above board. It is so incredible to see. Churches are lining up to partner with Compassion. And they walk about one to two years with the church before they, they you know, onboard them in the program. And sometimes churches don't make it through. But then they've had one or two years of being equipped anyway. So no church walks away from exploring Compassion, not benefiting from it. So they even invest in churches that often don't make it on uh, the list of the, the programs that they um, support. It's quite amazing. And all the churches that we've been to, there's not a Compassion logo anywhere. There's no Compassion banner anywhere. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the church in their local context. I was so impressed by that. You wouldn't even know it's a Compassion church when we visited. There's nothing that gives it away. And they have all such credible reputations in the communities that they serve. Okay, so let's move to the next picture. Um, that uh, we went back after the head office to the church that we visited on the Sunday. Um, next, next slide. And uh, that's our team there again. Next slide. Uh, beautiful warm welcome by the kids as we arrived there. <laughs> next slide again. And uh, then we got to do some home visits. And that was really amazing. So in other words, we were able to go into uh, a home uh, where there are either a sponsored child or sponsored children. So on this... Um, this particular uh, uh, visit, the boy, he hides behind his mom, um, sort of in the center. His name's Yuri. His mom's name's Elizabeth. Then he's got two sisters on the side. That's Dave Adams on the far right, by the way, who used to lead a church here in Ajax. And that's me, obviously, on the far right with uh, one of the Compassion staff at the back, uh, uh, Tracy. And then the lady in the blue shirt, she's one of the tutors. She actually tutors little Yuri. So it was amazing to ask him. What's, how has compassion changed your life? And what do you love most about it? And it's always, it's like, I love the stories about the Bible. You know, I love my tutor. I love opening up letters. Always the case. I love reading about uh, or reading letters from my sponsor. And so, although there are 2.2 million kids uh, being served by compassion, being able to actually meet one child face to face and hear their story goes way further than those massive stats that you could throw out. And we got to do that over and over again. Three times we were able to do home visits and um, interview these kids. So that was amazing. All right, next slide. Um, we traveled then from Santo Domingo up to uh, Santiago, uh, a, a big city over there. Next slide. And then um, the next day, 
we went to a little place called Mocha, just outside of Santiago. And uh, this particular center um, and the others that we visited, they have an additional thing to the Compassion Program, which is called a Child Survival Center. So maybe you can go to the next slide. That's kind of what um, uh, Mocha looks like. The church is on the left there. Scroll to the next one. Um, that's what it looks like on the outside. Beautiful building. And then as we go inside, again, a warm welcome by all these kids. There's actually a school on this church property as well that's not part of Compassion. Compassion does tutoring, extra, extra stuff they do with the children. Um, and then the next slide gives you just an idea. That's the Dominican flag. Apparently, it's the only flag in the world that has an open Bible in the middle of it. You can't see it over there, but trust me, it's there. Okay. Uh, next, let's see. Yeah, we were handing out snacks to the kids in the various classes. Next slide. That is a child survival uh, um, center over there. And what they basically do is they offer pre- and postnatal care to young moms, you know, often teen moms. If you ask the ages of the moms there, they were sometimes you know, 17, 18 years old. Um, they do checkups, teach them about nutrition, food, give them guidance, you know, how to feed their baby. Uh, that particular center, the, the kids can be stimulated because we went into three people's homes. There's just no place for babies to play, you know. There's no, no, no activities for them to do. So they're able to go there with their child and play. And actually what happens after three years, these children are then enrolled into the Compassion Program. So child survival centers is something that a church can actually adopt. And we might talk about that as a church. It's a four-year commitment to help these uh, moms um, uh, you know, who are in extreme poverty uh, look after their kids and sets their children up for an amazing future. Um, yeah, you can maybe scroll to the uh, next slide. That's uh, just a few of the translators. So on the far right is uh, um, Kim. She's one of the uh, people that traveled with us. She's from Vancouver. Um, next to her with the funky glasses is one of the uh, translators. And then the two moms in the middle and then another translator on the other side. So we got to do lunch with them. You can maybe go to the next slide. Uh, that's another home visit. So this home visit is pretty amazing. Um, Miguel, that you can see sort of the, the boy uh, sort of almost in the center of this picture. Um, next to him is Tracy. She is a Compassion Canada staff member. And actually, Miguel, she discovered in a child survival center when he was just a baby. And so she was just moved by this little boy. And she just said, I would love to follow him. And as soon as he was enrolled in the Compassion program, she said, can I have him as my sponsor? And she's been walking a road with him. I think he's 11 years old right now. He's changed houses three times. They've shared the story with us, how they... Their lives increased as they walk in the compassion, their, their, their um, quality of life, let's put it that way, increased as they are equipped. Like the, the mom was, went through vocational training, another thing that they do at these centers. And so she was able to, to work um, and supply uh, his needs. Again, it's impossible for me to get into the details, but to see firsthand just the love that a sponsor has for his kid, um, and, and, and how Miguel, I, I don't have the picture over here, but he just embraced her as she walked in. He just fell upon her, and they just wept and just hugged. Um, it's incredible to see. Next slide. Yeah, that's us playing with some of the kiddos uh, over lunch at that Compassion Center. Next slide. Uh, our, our staff again over there. And the next slide, you'll see we actually were praying for them as staff at every point that we were at. That We were always praying. I love that praying for everybody, uh, bringing them before the Lord. So then from uh, Mocha, we went down back to Santa Domingo, but we stopped in a little, another area um, that is called, let me just see if I can get the name 
right here. Um, Lakuaba, the Lakuaba Center over, over there. And uh, the next slide shows you uh, what it looks like on the outside. And then the following slide is me actually... Oh, sorry, that's the kids again giving us a beautiful warm welcome. <laughs> next slide. I'm standing next to the pastor of that church. His name is Geraldo. Uh, and that's really, even, even the, the, the church in, in Santiago, that region there, it's an amazing story that the lady who's leading the church, her husband passed away in the church in one of the chairs during one of the services. Like probably the most beautiful way to go, I guess, you know, dying in the church that he loved and, and led. And so she's just picked up the mantle of her husband, you know, uh, leading that church. Here, Geraldo um, is, uh, has been in this community for 22 years. He showed me all his cards. He's the chaplain for the police. He's the chaplain for the fire department. He's a counselor in the municipality. And then he tells me a story of you know, a lot of gang violence happening where he takes two gang leaders and he has them in his house over a meal and makes them reconcile with one another. That's, that's pretty impressive, you know, a real commitment to, to, uh, to that community. So it was so great to be able to um, you know, pray with him as well and encourage him. Uh, the next, uh, next slide is, uh, is me just interacting with a couple of the kids over there. We often played rock, paper, scissors because you know, I can't speak Spanish, and, um, but uh, you, know, you can play games. With gestures. Next, uh, next slide. Again, we are gathering with the staff, praying for them over there. And then after that, this is now the evening. We're back in Santo Domingo, and we have a dinner with Compassion alumni. So these are um, adults now, but they've graduated. They've they've come out of the, uh, the the sponsorship program. They were once participants as well. And in this picture on the far left, there, her name's Smyrna, and then it's Daniel. In the middle is Jonathan. Um, and then Samuel. Samuel and Daniel are actually uh, brothers. And then there's Levi, or we would say Levi, uh, on the far right. And uh, all of them grew up in extreme poverty. And, uh, and compassion made a massive difference. They told their stories, and then we got to ask them a few questions. Uh, those two brothers, actually, on either side of, of Jonathan that's in the middle, um, it's, it's fascinating. They say they grew up in poverty because their dad moved into a community to serve the poor. And their dad's actually the one who passed away inside the church. Their mom is the one leading the church still there. So, so for them, they, extreme poverty was actually something that came upon them because their parents felt called to go and lead that community. So quite a story. Because in the Dominican, often to be a pastor means to be poor. And so Jonathan, who's a staff member on the, the uh, uh, national office team, tells us that about 77 of the pastors... Um, uh, they support because they cannot earn a salary because of the community that they are serving. So that center guy, Jonathan, maybe next slide you can show. I'm standing next to him there. He is a Compassion staff member, but he himself was, um, was a former sponsor as well. And he spoke to us, and he, he started out of Galatians 2, um, verse 10, where Paul really tells the story of the Apostle Paul of, uh, of going to Jerusalem. He's clearly called to reach the Gentiles. The, the non-Jews, and he goes to Jerusalem just to make sure he's doing things okay. And it says that Peter, James, and John kind of gave him the right hand of fellowship, him and Barnabas. And they sent him off to the Gentiles to keep preaching the gospel. And they said to him, just don't forget the poor. The one thing we ask you is to, to remember the poor. And, and it was so true. I was sitting there realizing, yeah, as, and he was saying, as, as ministers, as churches, we can be so busy with theology and, the, and all of those churchy, churchy things that in the process we can forget 
and neglect the poor. And so he was really calling out, saying, hey, please don't forget the poor. And he said, you've now seen the work of compassion. He said, but it's a tricky statement because it's actually the work of the church. It was so great that he was saying, like, we say the work of the compassion, but it really is. If it's not for the local churches and their influence and their gospel preaching, compassion does not have an infrastructure, a way to serve the community. So the work of compassion, according to him, is ultimately the work of the church. It's amazing to see. So, yeah, I sat next to Levy and his wife, and he was telling me just his story, just over a meal, of how his brother, who was sponsored as well, his sponsor gave them a gift one year, and it was a bunk bed because they were a family of three, his mom and the two boys. Dad wasn't around, and they shared a bed, and their lives changed when a bunk bed for him and his brother was added. They had to figure out how to fit it into their tiny home, but for once, they could all sleep in their own bed, and just a remarkable difference that something as little as that made in his life. The meal that he would get once a day meant that his mom could actually repurpose some of the finances that she would use to feed them lunch to other necessary needs they would have. He was in a neighborhood where drugs and violence and prostitutes and these things were normal, and going to the compassion center meant that he was constantly surrounded by good influences. He broke the rules. He said he used to go to the compassion center on the days he wasn't supposed to be there even because there were good influences around him. He teared up when he talked about the cook, the lady who cooks those lunches. She was a volunteer, not even on staff. And how she loved him. And he's weeping as he's telling us about this person. That, that just showed him love and affection that he wouldn't get anywhere else. He told me a story of how his tutor, when he got older, you know, uh, in the program. He had heard the Bible stories. He had, he had now, you know, immersed himself in the program. And he was getting bored. He said to his tutor, I know all this stuff. I don't want to come anymore. She said, okay, well, if you know all this stuff, then you help me teach. And so that's what I saw. I, I just saw this sort of long-term discipleship happening in all of these centers. This is a commitment. From three years, sometimes up to 22 years, you can stay in the program. So there's this consistent walking alongside discipleship. This is not a McDonald's meal we're giving them. This is investing day in and day out into the lives of these kids over and over again. He couldn't get off the hook. He couldn't say, oh, I know everything. She's like, okay, well, then teach alongside me. Isn't that amazing? And so Smyrna, the one girl that you saw there, she's a teacher now. She said she nearly died at 12, and because of compassion, something we don't even realize, they have health insurance. They pay anything between 80 to 100% of the bills. She was going to die unless there was medical intervention. She survived because of compassion. She's now a teacher. Daniel, the one musician that I talked about, um, or actually the one, one of the brothers, he went to Berkeley Music School. He learned music at a compassion center. There was a piano and, and other instruments, and now he's a composer for Compassion and their videos. His brother Samuel runs his own construction business, and Levy, the one you see there on there, um, he's also contracts with Compassion as a translator, and uh, he's a musician himself, and he's starting a new job as a teacher soon. He's married, and his life is completely different to the one he described to me over dinner because of the work of Compassion. Very encouraging. Right, on our last day, we went to a place called Los Americanos. Apparently they call it that because there was some American organization 40 years ago that helped with eye care and that changed the name of the community. I don't know, okay? But it's called Los Americanos. And um, there's another pastor you'll see. This is the outside of this place. Next slide. Um, us just meeting again uh, with their staff and volunteers, asking questions. And here I'm having a conversation with the pastor. He's on the right. His name is Ernesto. And he's been serving there for 27 years. 
So Geraldo was there 22 years, Ernesto 27 years in that community. And what this center does is incredible. They do vocational training. They help you know, teach people to bake, to sew, to repair phones, and to be computer literate. They even find birth certificates for people. Because if you do not have a birth certificate, you cannot continue after grade eight. You basically don't exist. And so, you know, this is one way of saying, I see you, you exist. And they make sure they have birth certificates so they could continue their schooling after grade eight. Uh, next slide. They uh, started a water purification system over there. You'll see those tanks in the next slide as well, I think. Yeah, this is where it all happens. And they've discovered that 44% of all the illnesses in that community is because of dirty water. I mean, you know, last Christmas we raised funds through the Charity Water Project. Well, it's happening in this community. And this church realized people are actually selling clean water at such a high premium, poor people can't afford it. So they are, obviously this is an operation that uses equipment, but they sell the water for a fifth of the price that what you could get it somewhere else. Apparently they serve over 300 families with this water purification plant that's happening over there. Incredibly inspiring. And then we did a final home visit in that region as well. That's the next, uh, that's kind of walking up to the home. Next slide shows you uh, us with this particular family. So let me see if I can get their names right. On the far left there is, is Wilson, is the dad. And then there's Alba and her baby. That's the mom and baby. I can't remember baby's name. And then there's little Jacob down there in my arms. Four-year-old boy, such a lovely young man, really connected with him. Uh, and the rest of them are compassion staff uh, and, uh, and, um, and volunteers that joined us. Next slide, you can see there. Just uh, so, so happy to engage, sit in my arms. You know, he wishes he was tall. It's one of the stories he told us. He wants to be, when he was big one day, he just wants to be tall. You know, so I was able to like raise him up above everybody else's, uh, you know, height level. And he felt like a big man on that day. But what a privilege to get to know little Jacob. And uh, his mom, Alba, she was actually part of the baby survival program as well. Um, and so, yeah, that was incredible. Over there is a picture of us as a team by the vocational center that this church uh, is busy uh, renovating. Uh, they're even taking that bakery, turning it into a cafe at the back there, providing work and skills for people in that community. So, so inspiring. And then I just wanted to show you just some of the people that journeyed with us. That's a picture of all the translators that helped us. At any time, if I wanted to speak to somebody, I could just grab a translator and head up to a stranger, uh, and they would translate for me, and I could ask questions. So they served us so well. Ayetska on the right. Uh, we've got Louis, uh, Louis in, in the, in, um, sitting on the couch far left. Then we've got Leah, um, Scarlett, and then Abraham. We called him Father Abraham on the right there. Um, really amazing. There's also someone missing, Daniel, our bus driver. Phenomenal guy. We should have been dead a hundred times, and he managed to navigate through some of those treacherous uh, environments with a big bus with a small van. I mean, he was a phenomenal driver. He's not on the picture there. And then lastly, um, this is the Compassion Canada staff that joined us um, at the hotel on the final night. So, so thankful for them. Uh, it's Liz, Metty, Ann, Tracy, and then Mike uh, Peninga, who, who heads up the team. So, yeah, I wanted to just share uh, this with you. Um, I can't believe we made it. There's six minutes left, and uh, we're going to break bread together. <laughs> but, again, just to come back to the opening statements, that as followers of Jesus... Thanks, Liam. You can, you can go back to the, um, uh, the other slides. As, uh, as followers of Jesus... Uh, we are called to stand out. We are called to be different. We are called to be... Uh, Liam, just 
switch on um, the... There we go. Thank you. <laughs> he was shaking his head on that side, so I thought he got stuck. We are called to be different. We are called to be salt and light. And to see churches, and of course, the resources that we have, we are so wealthy. Honestly, it just gave me fresh perspective. I loved what Alyssa said a few weeks ago. The poverty of having too much is what we struggle with. And, uh, and to see how far our dollars go in communities that have so little. And I just think about how much we, in fact, have in our communities. You know, um, We can be a, be a difference. You know, We can make a difference. And so as we break bread together as a church, I pretty much know everybody here. And I'm, I'm pretty sure everybody's a believer. So I normally make it very clear that breaking bread is just for Christians. And so if you're a parent here and you, might, you think you want to hold your kid back from this moment, that's between you and your children. But I'm going to just speak as if everybody understands how holy this moment is when we break bread together. We know that Jesus gave up the wealth of heaven, right? To come and humble himself, not just to be human, but to die the death of a criminal, of a sinner on a cross. He emptied himself of his glory. He emptied himself of his, his, his wealth, of his status, to actually raise you and me up to the status of sons and daughters of our God. And he did that. By paying a very expensive price. His very life. He shed his blood. He gave his body. I should have been on that cross. I technically should fit the bill for my sin, my treason against God. It's a bill I couldn't pay. Even the richest person on the planet. Elon Musk and Bezos, Jeff and whoever, whoever else you have on that list. They cannot buy their way into, into heaven, into an eternity with God. That nobody can actually fit the bill for committing high treason against the king of heaven. Only he himself can cancel the debt. And he doesn't just sweep it under the carpet and says, it's okay, I'll ignore it. Because then he wouldn't be holy. He wouldn't be just. He actually ran at a loss. He, he gave himself. He gave his son, to die in our place. And so when we stand around this, we are inspired with the cup and the bread, the generous giving of everything for us. We are inspired, therefore, by the Spirit to give our lives in return, to sacrifice, to remember the poor, because God became poor for us. So won't you stand? Won't you stand? <laughs>